Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Flame On. I am Brian the Bear. I am here with two very special guests. One, my partner in podcasting at Comic Book Bears, Bill Zanowitz. Hey, everybody. And our very, 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 very special guest, cartoonist extraordinaire, uh, Mr. Dean Haspiel. How are you doing today? You're too kind. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Well, I'm that, actually in the midst. You saw me at the art table, so it's really exciting right now. That's awesome. No, I, I, Brian, you blew something with the intro. I blew something? <laughs> Yes, it's very rare you can say Emmy Award winning. Oh, oh, oh that's right. That's the they had to change my first name to that. Uh, <laughs> you have to say it that way now. So, uh, well, an Emmy and and Oz, uh, other nominations as well. I mean, you've got a very storied and uh, well awarded career so far. And and I am I'm I, I'll be honest with you. I came uh, you came to my attention fairly recently for. Uh, and we shared it, in fact, on Flame On, the delightful uh, sort of gender-playing, uh, sort of seductive sketch you did, I think in response to the Assad Ribic Nightcrawler Wolverine sketch. Oh, you're talking about, I'm sorry, you're talking about the Wolverine Namor sketch that I did. Yes, that... Okay, now, I did that years ago. Oh, well. And I and I, I know that there was an Assad Ribic uh, Wolverine and Nightcrawler yep. uh, cover. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, yes. Right, and I forget how or why I had posted. I might have posted something, you know, saying, "Oh, I I covered that years ago" or something like that. Because <laughs> like I was uh, hanging out one night with Becky Cloonan, because uh, Becky Cloonan used to be right next door to me in, at my studio before she moved. Uh, I forget where she lives now. I don't know if it's Canada or somewhere else. But um, we were talking about you know uh, Wolverine probably, and you know. If she was to hook up, if he was to hook up with a guy, who would it be? And I, she might have had an answer. And I always thought, well, you know, an underwater kiss with Namor would be fun. And I just literally just drew that as a quick sketch for for the fun of it. And then I might have even 
posted it on my blog or something back then. And then I totally forgot about it until when that uh, cover was brought up recently, the Esau Ribbick cover. And I just had a playful little moment with it. And that was about it. I, I wasn't trying to say anything or do anything. And then, of course, you know, what happens is uh, people start to weigh in and they start to say, well, no, Wolverine wouldn't kiss Namor. He might kiss so-and-so. And <laughs> it, it, it's, it's the fan thing, you know, where you just have some fun. And, and also, like, you know, Wolverine is old enough. He's probably hung out with a guy or two, don't you think? Oh, totally. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, let's just say one of our favorite recent uh, comics, uh, oh, it, was the, it was the Parallel Worlds X book. And it had uh, was it Exiles, okay. I think, and they had a gay Wolverine and a gay Hercules that were together. And it, wow, did he have an adamantium boner? <laughs> I think only Hercules <laughs> could take that. <laughs> only but, Hercules could take that. But I mean, wow, it, this conversation already derailed. Oh, <laughs> uh, this this is how we roll here. It's a, it's it's all good, right? So no, well, I and and I uh, since then, of course, you know, I've dug into your stuff, and I had heard of you in passing. I think I had even seen you at a show or two. So uh, you know, in oh, my cool. my education, of course, you know, got real fun, especially with some recent things that we've uh, been privy to check out. Uh, one that I tell you, I'm very excited about, um, and I know this has been around for a while. Uh, on your website, but uh, seeing the uh, the sort of, I guess it's like a new collection of Billy Dogma stories. Oh, right. Okay. So, um, so let's, uh, let, let me just, just uh, comment on one thing you said before oh, when sure. you were mentioning the Emmy. The Emmy is the only award except for uh, a literary death match thing that I won. Uh, I think I won the sixth anniversary of the literary death match but the emmy is the only award i've won in terms of you know statues and awards in, in any industry i have been nominated which is you know almost as good as an award to be honest especially when it's an eisner or a harvey or ignatz so just to get acknowledged is really cool uh but yeah i mean i've hopscotched all over the place between doing memoir you know like with harvey picar or john the names or uh with a good friend of mine named Verna latfez about cuba uh, I've even done my own memoir uh, comics, and then uh, obviously, uh, you know, the, I get to scratch the the itch of the twelve year old inside me, and 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 you know, draw superheroes and 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 get to some write some of their stories as well. So I've dabbled with Marvel and DC characters, and uh, currently I'm working on um, Dark Circle Archie character called the Fox, which I guess we'll talk about as well. But yeah, when I get my own free time and get to do my own stuff, I have a character called Billy Dogma, and uh, I did send you guys, uh, you know, a preview of a Billy Dogma collection called Heart Shaped Hole, which will be debuting at Mocha Fest in April, uh, April 11th and 12th, and uh, I'd love to hear what you guys thought about it, but just one thing I want to make a note of, which is it's not being distributed through, uh, you know, the normal channels. It's not going to be an online comic. It's not going to be, uh, even though some of the comics are come from online, uh, this collection is is, 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 is its own original thing. Uh, and it won't be distributed in stores or anything. You have to get it from me. Okay. The point of uh, creating something like this is so that you and I can have some kind of an intimate experience because I'm kind of getting sick and tired of, of you know technology kind of separating us. I mean, even though you and I are talking right now on a podcast, and you know I'm online all day long because you know that's how we take our little breaks is to go check out what's happening on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Um, 
I'm kind of missing the human connection because I'm, you know, holed up at my desk uh, trying to crank out these stories and, and make work for myself. But uh, I am, you know, I, I have to say no to about 90% of the things I get invited to. And, you know, I kind of want to put, a, a, you know, my foot in the ground in a way and say, well, let me create a, pro- a product here or, or a comic book that, you know, makes us stop and talk to each other for at least a minute, you know, and have a conversation about something. And then you get to walk away with this kind of a souvenir, as it were, you know? Yeah. And I know uh-huh. it sounds all sentimental and everything, but that really was one of the reasons why I decided to put together a collection like this and, and, and only make it available from me so that we can, you know, stop for a moment, take a break, and look each other in the eye. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's great because even in the work, uh, the Billy Dogma, you see that theme of technology separating us, and and yet, you know, I think there's a lot of commentary about the. It's kind of like an iPad that everybody's obsessed with their own identity on that iPad and on the internet, and you know, you got Billy's exactly. character coming in and sort of causing that to be destroyed. Like it's it's very packed. I, the one thing I'll say about Billy Dogma, and I love the art. And I love, I mean, you know, I'm a gay man, but I'll tell you, you draw a fine female character, so I don't oh, mind <laughs> the sexiness. So uh, the first thing Brian and I said to each other was, God, how sexy is this book? Oh. Oh, thank you. Well, when thank I was you. reading it at I, work. I, I draw an okay hairy chest, you know? No, yeah. Billy is <laughs> quite fetching. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie, but I mean, you know, seeing a, a male bear chest is, is a lot more common than a female one, unfortunately, but, but I mean, seriously, yeah. the whole piece is, it's so dense to me, and yet he can be appreciated on such a like just fun level. But like your your dialogue kind of reminds me of like a Kerouac, kind of like a beat poet. There's like a real Holy jazzy God. rhythm to it that I love. Um, Thank you. The relationship between them goes from endearing to codependent at times. Like it's just fascinating. Absolutely. And and you know what? Can you distill what you're doing with this character and and specifically? Because a lot of the stories in this deal with like the relationship in different forms, uh, can you get to like sort of what you're trying to do there in, in in specifics with that sort of that angle of a relationship and the ups and downs and the 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 joys and the perils? I mean, it's very it's very expressive. Well, I think you kind of you kind of covered it a little bit in your own description, but I mean, what I'm trying to get at is you know um, I'm trying to be as honest and candid as possible. But I'm also trying to create something that we can relate to through art. Meaning, you, you you were saying how like the dialogue is kind of funky and you know purposely like offbeat. You know, um, the artwork has a certain kind of like uh, swagger to it, and I am very aware of that. I mean, on on the one hand, I'm probably just doing what I would do anyway. But because you know you create something, you do think about what it is you're putting out there. At least that's what I do, and I know I'm very aware of like that I'm kind of pushing a couple of buttons, but I'm also winking at the same time. And, you know, what I'm trying to ultimately do the other day is, is create something that's emotionally true. There's fact and there's accountability and there's culpability, and that's all really important to uh, memoir-type comics. And, you know, I have, I have written and drawn stories about my life. You know, the character is Dean Haspiel. But the problem is you, the reader, can only be a voyeur in my life. What I've done with Billy Dogma is create an avatar that hopefully you can relate to. I, I relate to it, obviously, but I feel like it's more autobiographical because it's more emotionally true. And he's doing things, or Jane is doing stuff uh, that maybe I haven't totally 100% done myself, 
but I either would like to do or I've felt like I've done that metaphorically in some way. And I feel like it's, it's the, the fiction becomes fact in the way you present it. And, you know, uh, I've heard people, you know, say that comics are like poems sometimes. And, uh, you know, or, or it can be like a ballet uh, visually. And, and those are some of the things I incorporate into this. And, you know, it, it's something I, I craft on purpose in hopes that other people will relate to it. And I can, I can also see people going, I don't know what the hell this is, and throw it against the wall, you know? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it, it, it can polarize because it, if it's a comic book that you're not expecting, hopefully you'll walk away, you know, seeing and reading something not only that feels new, but also feels very old in that it's, it's just it's excavating the kind of stuff that we care about, you know, how we interact with each other, how the world interacts around us, and, and love, you know, and what is love? Is it obsession? And, and these two people are kind of like these love titans that are kind of broken. They're still trying to figure out what love is. Yeah, and, and it, that comes through, especially in the first story with, the, like you said, the love titans. I mean, the fact that they are almost some epicenter of this, uh, is it Trip City, I think? Trip City, yeah. Um, that 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 when they break up, their whole their whole relationship <laughs> breakup causes people just to go crazy and have just wild sex and just the energy levels of the whole area just totally change. And like, I didn't know if like that was trying to explore like the 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 cult of personality and kind of some of that too. Like it, it's it's just I mean like it's, it's a really combination cool. of all that stuff because you know um, like I said nobody's perfect. These characters are definitely not perfect. They're not meant to be. And, you know, uh, you know, when they don't have sex within 24 hours, uh, the town becomes toxic and, and, and they get energized to, to keep the sex vibe going. And again, it's a joke, but it's also kind of true if you really think about it. You know, we have these biorhythms and, and we, you know, I, I'm not a religious person, um, but in a way, comics is kind of like a religion to me because, you know, the kind of stories that we can convey through words and pictures um, or like, you know, community to me can be kind of a religion. And I feel like we hip check each other and we, we course correct. Uh, look at social networking, you know, right now, um, Indiana, like people are pulling their shows from Indiana because of, of maybe you could speak to it better than me, but, uh, because of anti-gay things that are happening, yep. you know? Yep. Uh, and, and I'm really proud of that. I, I, I stand for that. I'm like, I'm, I'm watching, uh, you know, culture kind of, disappear right now from indiana because of these stupid laws you know yeah no in fact uh, on the way home i'm listening to uh you know on point and they're going on about the indiana thing and it's it's just such a struggle and yet like you said because of social media activism can happen in seconds across the world with just people on their phones reacting and then business sees right. that and they react and so you're right we are so connected in a sense that you know something like what's happening in this first story in Billy Dogma absolutely can be a thing when when a major couple have this like breakup it creates real stress in other people who have I mean, no and connection think about it creates stress i mean like i don't care if like jay-z and beyonce break up but that would be the top news of the story oh, yeah. you know, of the day you know uh, because of that, because we create these ideas about people because we're looking at them and we're iconicizing them. And it is crazy, you know? And meanwhile, of course, I just use, we just use the internet as a virtue. And meanwhile, I'm in the same comic book 
I'm talking about community and how we can access each other, I'm also slapping it in the ass because it also in a weird way disconnects us. Yep. And I and I do mean the human aspect. Like the again, I'm I'm gonna be forty eight at the end of May. So I remember when a phone would ring and I didn't know who was on the other side of it. And I would pick it up and say, Hello, who is it? And now I get a text message from a friend saying, Hey, it's okay if I call you now and I'm like you just did, <laughs> you know, my, this is a phone first, you know, it's not the internet first. It's, it's not meant to be a computer or a, you know, a camera that's all secondary or, or an app, you know, to me, this is a phone. What we're doing right now is, a, and I've never met you before, spoken to you before, but we're having a conversation and trust me, if we were standing in front of each other, it would, it would be even better, you know, yeah. but this is what we have right now. So I do appreciate that. But I am worried that we are, that more people are walking around the streets with their heads buried into the phone. I actually started to think, did the creator of, of smartphones, did they create this so that they could rob people blind? <laughs> like, people walking down the street, I, I, I could see somebody stealing someone's sneakers, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't even know it for a block or two, because they're so engrossed oh, totally. in, like, the next five seconds of something happening, and if they miss it. And they can react to it in some negative way. That's the other thing. I, <laughs> again, grumpy old Dean here. <laughs> it's like the internet's also created for a lot of like jerks and people who just want to like piss on people. Oh, yeah. And I always say, yeah. don't turn me off. Turn me on. Well, and it's it's yeah. so true because like you know we we are in a age where people are two people. They're they're their their real life identity and then they're their online identity. And for a long time back in the early days, that was exciting because a a, a young you know eighteen nineteen year old gay guy could be gay online and have these conversations and sort of virtual experiences and then possibly real experiences, and then have their normal heterosexual life and kind of stay in that closet. And that's, wow. that was my story. Like that was literally when I was that age, I could not be out in person. Like I just, I was in a situation where I just didn't know how to do it. And yet I could be out on. Well, let me ask you this again, cause you're, you're telling me, you know, for the first time. So like you, um, were in an environment where you, was, was it your call to not, you know, say something or was it because you were in an environment where you felt like you would be, you know, berated or something or, or made fun of or hated or. I mean, you know, it's, it's I, a I little know. bit of everything. I mean, I was raised religious. I was actually uh, raised Southern Baptist. So I went to a private Christian school for all my high school and, and elementary. And I got out oh, of college boy. or I got out of high school and into college and I had a little bit of freedom. And that was when I started being able to take baby steps out of the closet with my close friends. I mean, one guy caught me. Right. He found my porn. I mean, you know, but I mean, even the fact sure. that before that I was able to have virtual sort of conversations about what it is to be gay, you know, what is gay sex like? I mean, I got a real education online in the last few years of high right. school so that finally when I was able to take a step out into the out of the closet, so to speak, I was ready right. in the sense that at least I had some basic understanding. But at the same time, that also sort of stunted me because I didn't go to the bars. I didn't meet people in what is more typical, perhaps, uh, you know, nowadays or whatever. But well, actually not nowadays, but, you know, like it was sort of a weird thing for me to get myself out there. But I, I totally agree with you because I sit there in restaurants and I'll be talking to friends and one of our friends will pick up his phone. And we've actually started right. basically getting to the point where we're like, oh, I guess we lost so-and-so, and we'll like literally call them out on it. And then they kind of look up sheepishly, and it's like, hey, man, we're here. You guys, we don't do this right. very often. Let's connect. Let's have an experience. Don't don't be on your phone checking Facebook, you know? So, 
You know, it's funny because, like, when I, I, you know, listen, I'm an artist and I've been around gay people all my life. I've never had any issue with it ever. I, I don't know why it's a problem, almost to the point where I wonder if if it being a problem is actually kind of hot and sexy for some people. You know what I'm saying? Because then it means that you're being wrong or, you know, you're you're bucking the system by being gay or something. I, that's something you can speak to better because you, you know, you hang up more in that culture. Yeah. Um, but I remember going to an artist writer's retreat and, you know, there'd be a lot of gay people there and there's something introducing me this idea and maybe you can help. It's called grinder. Yep. Uh-huh. Is that, is that correct? Your grinder is, yep. That's with social grinder dating. Like app. a sec, like looking for sex type, type of ass thing. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. So I was at this one, you know, I, I, I man, gay guys like me all the time and not, not because <laughs> I, hot or sexy it's just like i get along you know so yeah. i remember going to a nearby uh a horse race uh place and like the guy turned on his grinder app or whatever it was and it was literally like watching like uh you know this little red whatever it was he was like okay the guys within 50 feet 40 feet 30 feet and like it was one of the guys that was walking the horses by and, like, and he was ogling this guy and it was just like weird to watch this because it kind of reduced it down to a meat market mentality, which was odd for me. Yeah. And then again, I understand like you go to a bar or you go to like, you know, certain social situations and you can, you know, get the same type of feeling, but without the app. Right. Right. But the app to me almost like desensitizes anything human about the hunt for me. You know, when right. I, when I see other people do it. Well, I mean, I yeah. can, personally attest to this because even before grinder there were these websites so you know before we had cell phones there were websites and there were these websites like manhunt adam for adam and these websites didn't have the nudity restriction that the cell phone apps do so you would literally go in and it would be a meat market in the sense that you just have pictures of penises all over the place or pictures of asses and 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 i'll tell you i had a real struggle for a long time with those apps or with those websites because part of me was in that, like being gay is sort of wrong. Even though I'm out, even though I have a, a you know, I've had relationships or whatever, I still feel like it's a little bit naughty. And so that then right. having in conjunction with a, a system like that, that really does right. dehumanize and makes it like sort of a meat market. It it was dangerous. And even now with things like Grinder, uh, the bear version of Grinder, just so you know, is Growler. And so t- uh, Growler, <laughs> Growler, yeah. Bill and I are both uh, we consider ourselves bears. Um, and so we have our own. Are you? Are you? That's funny you say that because the, the the gay guy I knew that was using Grinder once dubbed me an otter. Nice. <laughs> I was like, okay. And he explained to you what that was, right? <laughs> well, it's just it's not as big as a bear. Yep. Basically, yep. I but guess. still hairy. Usually, is I think the the, the thing there. Yes, exactly. Um, but I mean, you know, Growler and Scruff is another one that's sort of in between. Like these systems out there are how a lot of people, our age, you know, my age and younger are interacting with each other both for sex both for dating because i know people who i mean right. i met my current partner pat off of one of those uh, sites uh, off of growler oh I, I have a friend who who um you know dated a girl off of nerve.com and now they're married and have kids so yeah it works oh yeah totally you know, works. Uh, i'm not against it i just feel like there is a there is a you know it's funny when when the whole gay marriage thing started to be legalized i know there was a lot of gay couples where one of the at least one of the person was like oh shit i didn't really want to get married and now i'm being asked to, to legally get married and it presented some problems because again it's kind of like being an outsider 
in a system where you can, you know, people get used to complaining, like I was saying before. And when you don't, you can't complain, and you're part of the, the norm, I think sometimes people don't want to be part of the norm either, you know? Oh, totally. And if you look at early gay culture, a lot of it is counterculture. You did not have very exactly. many people just exactly. just being themselves. You had drag queens. You had leather daddies. I mean, they were all sort of not the fringe, but the people just really got into their thing. And you look at gay culture now, and it's a far more diverse. You know, you got normal. You've got a little more alternative. Right. You've got conservative. I mean, you've got the whole gamut now. It's it's crazy. Yep. Uh, I mean, then there was like, you know, Elton John, look at, look at his trajectory. You know, he went from crazy absurd to now he just wears a suit and tie. You know, like, he kind of thought, and now Lady Gaga's picked up the baton, and now she's singing, uh, you know, her latest albums with Tony Bennett. Yeah. Yeah, Isn't that always the case? Isn't that always, you know, today's revolution is tomorrow's establishment? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's very true. Well, let's get back to Which, you know, I guess is is kind of the thing that I kind of think about a little bit when I when I do my Billy Dollar comic. I'm like I'm trying to think, you know, what that is. Because it's hard for me to write a you know, it's easier to write a conflict for a, you know, a hero and a villain. You just have to figure out what the villain wants. And then the hero has to try to like, you know, is morally against it or or is trying to save someone from being hurt or whatever. But when it comes to Billy and Jane, it's harder for me to create conflicts because it really is about a relationship and, and what is cool or what is, you know, why, what kind of trend are we bucking or are we commenting on? I, I feel like I try to stay away from political, uh, but I do like steep heavily in social. And, and I think that that's kind of like the, the, what I, what I, you know, think about when I write and draw these stories while creating these two characters that are struggling with a relationship. Right, you yeah, know, and, and that comes across. I mean, all all the stories that we've seen here. I mean, they're they're. I also like. I want to talk a little bit about your art too, because I mean, you are a cartoonist. You do the you do both. Do you do the colors for this as well? I wasn't sure. I did everything in that comic. I I lettered, colored, drew, wrote. I I you know assembled it and paid the printer. <laughs> wow, love it. I mean, so yeah. one of the things I want to mention about the color, just for people who, you know, get to whet their appetite, what I love that you do is it's very like, you know, two-tone or maybe maybe a, a few tones, uh, but each, yeah. each story has its own sort of signature color. And so you've almost got a little bit like sort of a Darwin Cook or some other artist, uh, Ramon Perez even. Sure. You've got that awesome sort of reducing it down, boiling it down into these very simple yeah. visual color schemes, but yet at the same time, you know, I think that sort of belies some of the complexity and some of the layouts. Like seriously, this is some of the best stuff I've seen of yours. Oh. And I mean, I don't know if it's just and it's one of those things where you know you talk to an artist or a cartoonist and their own stuff. A lot of times, like that's where they really just blow you away. I mean, their other stuff, whether it be the Marvel DC stuff or you know, like your Red Circle, like it's great. It looks awesome, but you know, you're always right. wondering if there's like that struggle where you're trying to sort of work towards something else that already exists and sort of work in that system. And then when you can just break out and do your own thing, it just it just really shines. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to get to that point. I mean, and I appreciate what you just said, and thank you very much. I'm trying to get to a point where commercially I can try and access the kind of stuff I do alternatively. And, you know, um, you know that, that's kind of the goal is to get to that place where, it, you know, it's still work what I'm doing, but when it can just be free and playing and then that becomes your job, that can be an amazing place to, you know, plateau. Right. You know? 
I mean, uh, you've seen so the same thing. I get with, to dabble with Wibbly Dogma, you know. With with what? Yes. I get to dabble, like you know, in that arena with Billy Dogma. Oh yeah, exactly. No, well, I was to say like you know, again, like Darwin Cook or Ramon Perez, both of them like have that same evolution when they did their stuff. I look at like the Parker stuff that Darwin's doing now, and right, like the Ramon right. Perez Tale of Sand. Like those are just so so iconic. And you know, some of your stuff in here. In fact, one of the the stories reminded me of Tale of Sand. I mean, not just because it's in the desert, but like even just some right. of the layouts and stuff had that very almost impressionistic sort of, you know, I'm trying to experience what it's, I'm trying to convey what it experienced, you know, to be out in the open desert and be alone and struggling. And it's just, uh, well, it's funny. Cause like, yeah. I, I definitely, I mean, if you got to know me more, you would know, Oh, I'm a big fan of Sergio Leone, you know? Uh, so I'm trying to create vistas in that spaghetti Western style. Totally. Or like if you were to actually kind of hear the music that's kind of running through my head when <laughs> you read a comic, Billy Dalma comic, it's kind of like a John Carpenter, you know, theme, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm definitely in, and then of course there's Jack Kirby's running through my veins, oh, you know, man. in a lot of ways. I love the so, last I mean, page. I'm that... combining all that into, into one, you know, uh, you know, condensed effort. The very, Eugene, la- I also okay. have a, I also have a question in relation to working as an artist and as you characterize them as memoir comics, uh, mm-hmm. probably the work that you were associated with that had the biggest emotional impact on me. And what I think is just a tremendous work of artist Cuba, my revolution. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And with something like Cuba, which is such a highly personalized biographical work, as an artist, do you attack something like that a little differently as you would something that's a little more hyper-stylized, like the Fox? I mean, do you use photo reference more in cases like that? Listen, Cuba was written by Inverna Lopez, and... um, She's a woman I've known for many, many, many years of my life, uh, to the point where, as I was growing as a cartoonist, little by small, her story was trickling out. She would tell me uh, a moment here, an event there, a scene, you know, this way. And then as I was becoming a better storyteller through art, comics, uh, I kind of at one point convinced her, I said, you know what, I want to hear your full story. And when she told it more to me, I realized that there could be a graphic novel here. If not a graphic novel, it could be a movie, a novel, whatever. But, you know, I really wanted to draw this story. So I kind of had, she had to put faith in me in a lot of ways. So for every project, you have to figure out what this thing is going to look like. One of the, one of the things I wanted to convey through the artwork, which is why it was one of the first times I did a pencil-only type of line art, and we wanted to have this limited palette, which I figured out was Jose Villarubia, which ultimately became like, you know, grays and reds with like pinks and salmons and whites. Um, again, a limited palette was I wanted us to evoke the past. I wanted to uh, get the feeling of the passion and the blood and, and the uh, communism of the red, you know. Um, but also I wanted you to you feel like if you had dug a shovel into the sand of Cuba in 1960 and pulled up the, you know, the dirt, this book would be inside that dirt. And I wanted to feel that way, you know, uh-huh. like you were going into, the, you were diving into the past, you know. And, uh, and Verna not only wrote an incredible story for me to adapt with our editor, Joan Hilty, into this narrative that you got to read, but she also entrusted me, and which was like the most important thing. And she, she gave me all this reference. There's no way I could have drawn half this book without the references she provided to me. I couldn't have made that up, you know? 
Uh, and then it, it almost, just, I mean, at one point I remember when it was starting to become visualized and real in her eyes, it started to activate memories that she had buried for almost 50 years. So she was being retortured and she was going through some of the pain again to the point where, uh, when she's being tortured in the jail cell and being hosed down, uh, I had to cast myself as one of the people that tortures her so that she could feel a little better because she was literally having kind of like, you know, uh, panic attacks, you know? And I kept saying, no, it's just, and then I started to talk about her character's name, not her. Cause I used to say, Vernon, when you did this, and then finally I started talking about Sonia, which was the name of the character we chose. Uh, and then when Sonia did this, so it wasn't her, you know, she was telling her story, even though everything that happened in that book happened to her and it becomes really intense, you know, and you start to feel bad. <laughs> it's like, you know, we, we, we bury things or, or it's, you know, for a reason. And then we create coping mechanisms out of that, you know? And I just think it's such a touching story and seeing some of the things where some of the greatest indignities are some of the most simple things like the bedroom set. It yep. really, it just, it, it was a really affecting work. And um, I tend to tie things back to music. And to me, reading this felt like, uh, you, you were two voices in one, in in some ways. It's it almost like a really good uh, Bernie Top and Elton John song, where there's just no delineation between the voices. And I right. just, uh, you know, if people listening to this are not familiar with this work, please go out and read it. You will be better for it. That's really kind of you, and and I really appreciate that, and thank you. And Dean, yeah, I really appreciate it. It was on the heels. Of, that book came out on the heels of. Uh, I remember there was like two or three graphic novels coming out that September when that came out. There was a Sarah Glidden's book about uh, Israel. Uh, mm -hmm. There was the book we did about Cuba, and I feel like there was a third book. I think it was, it used some of um, Hurricane Katrina in, in a plot device or something like that uh, by another okay, writer. I, and, I, artist. and I think one of Joe Sacco's books was around that time, too. Something like so. that. But I remember at the time, Vertigo went through a huge transition where they cut the staff in half, uh, they were going to stop focusing on memoirs and just focus more on their Sandman-type comics. And uh, and then, you know, DC was like, listen, we have Batman. we got to sell Batman here. And, you know, I don't think the them is a business for doing that. And, yes, we have our fanatic graphics and our Jordan Corleys and our top shelves and all these great publishers. But Vertigo was one of the only publishers in town that, you know, gave a good enough advance to be able to make works like this. I mean, it's harder for me to try and do a comic like Cuba now, uh, uh, there's a handful of publishers that will pay something of an advance that you can live on, especially if you live in New York City, hmm. you know? So as much as I would like to do that, it's harder for me to do that, which is why I am doing more of the superhero stuff. And trust me, I love superhero comics. I'm still, I, I, I believe that one of the reasons why I'm, I'm a kid or, or young is because comics can keep you young as much as it can beat you up. But it keeps your heart, you know, Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Energized and, and caring uh, and young, you know, which is important. Um, but yeah, to be able to do stories like that is, is a privilege in a way, you know. Dean, I don't. I hope you don't mind me uh, tying back to some things that we uh, talked about earlier. But this is kind of a, a perfect bridge because you mentioned the changes uh, that had happened with Vertigo. Uh, the first time I became familiar with her work was actually with Zuda Comics and Street Code. Oh, Street Code. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then from there, backtrack to the work that you did with Activate. Uh, with Activate. I was wondering oh, if someone. Yeah, I was wondering if someone who has been. Uh, in the past, a very big proponent of web comics and a very vocal presence about comics adapting to the digital age. What do you think is on the horizon with digital? And also, what are some of the developments that have happened over the last, say, four or five years that may have surprised you there? Uh, okay, well, Activate, I I basically founded Activate as a way, because I was on LiveJournal. I still am on LiveJournal. And I don't write as much as I used to on LiveJournal, like my personal life, because I'm, you know... I guess at the time it was just a way for me to express myself from my home. And I also would like see some of my friends on there and we talked that way. And that's how we used LiveJournal until I started to realize, wait a second, there's a lot of other artists on here as well. And then we learned how to like put up pictures. So then we put up a sneak peek of the kind of work we're doing, what's on the art table type thing. And then I, I started to become more friendly with some of those cartoonists and some of them were local to me as well. And I realized, well, why don't we, you know, one day a week, start our own little kind of webcomic series each, but we'll piggyback off each other. We'll have like seven or eight cartoonists. I get, you get Monday, I get Tuesday, so-and-so gets Wednesday, whatever. And then one day a week, you, you stop for about, you know, four to six hours from what you're doing and put up a comic on a weekly basis. And I came with the name Activate, and we created this live journal webcomics, you know, uh, place. And then suddenly people were like, wait a second, you're putting up comics for free? Isn't that weird? I was like, it's, yes, we're making it for free, but, like, it's also serving us as a 24-7 kind of, like, um, resume, you know, because people start stumbling upon it, and maybe they'll want to hire you to do that kind of comic that you love to do, that you're doing for free. Also, it creates a, a fan base and, and a loyal, and creates a loyal community of sorts. So there was a lot that, that came out of that that was really cool. And then, of course, we, we actually built a real website, and that's running today, being uh, 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 directed by uh, Simon Fraser, who I think we brought in on the third wave. And then um, I went on to do, you know, there was one, there was one month where I had done a webcomic for Marvel Comics. I was doing Street Code for Zuda, which was DC Comics. And I also did a comic for the New York Times, and they had done, they put up something on, on the web. And I was like, holy crap, this really is happening. The digital wave is starting to happen more and more. Um, and for a long time, it was polarizing because there were people who only looked at comics online, and there were people who bought print and never looked at comics online. In fact, I hardly read comics online myself. As much as I've been a, a progenitor and a proponent for it, 
uh, I still prefer to read comics in print and in my hand and so on and so forth. But I also understand that, that web comics have evolved in a way where I call it bells and whistles, which become kind of like a poor man's animation at times. In fact, I did a Batman 66 comic uh, last year that I had to do additional uh, enhanced panels for the online version so that when you clicked uh, on a panel, you might have to click on it three or four times so that, you know, Robin is turning his head as, a, you know, burglars are coming toward him or whatever, stuff like that. And we had to, you know, me and the editor and the writer had to sit there and think about different ways to enhance some of this, this experience because, you know, they are trying to get people to transition, I believe, but, uh, between print and digital. Of course, the price remains the same. I don't know, know what that's about. It seems like... Three ninety nine comic in the store is also three ninety nine online, but haven't we just cut out, you know, distribution and print? So I think it's because they're trying to like not piss off the re- the few retailers that we do have, you know. Um, but they also are nowadays creating digital only experiences, which is which kind of means that it won't be in print. And you know, again, going back to the iPad and that tablet that everyone stares at. You know, uh, we're going to get to a point where we don't have these things in print. Um, I used to say, what was it? It was uh, Radiohead. I think they did a really interesting experiment where they created an album. Of course, they're Radiohead, so they can do this. But they created an album. They put it online. They said, pay for what you you want. If it's a dollar, if it's $10, whatever. Uh, And a lot of people, it was kind of an honor system. I think a lot of people downloaded and probably paid between 5 and $10 when they didn't have to pay anything. Um, And that was really cool. But then later on, they did issue a CD that you could buy normally for $13 to $15. And then they did issue like a $50 box set that came, you know, art directed with all this cool stuff. You know, so in a way... uh, they found their different audiences. You know, they're the people that only listen to it as a download on their iPhone or whatever. And then, you know, there are people who still, like me, who still buys the damn CD. Or there are people who want to get the bells and whistles as well, you know. But then there was that weird backlash that happened to you two. <laughs> what the yeah. hell was that? Do you remember that? Yeah. They... Not, nothing worse than getting something for free. Horrible, horrible thing. Like, people were <laughs> pissed off and they got a free U2 album you know, I think they were just more afraid that that well, what the universe or technology was showing that they, you know, you can wake up and have a bug in your phone, you know, right, or on your system, and I think that that's what people were more afraid of. Right. Was, I, I still think that that's the height of first world problem, though. Oh, totally. Oh, but it was oh, intrusive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people just didn't like that intrusion. They're like, I don't want this. Why did you give me this? You know. Or, or, or not even thinking about like whether they want it or not, because of course a lot of people dissed YouTube. Uh, but uh, yeah, the whole fear factor of like, wow, what else has been inserted into my phone that I don't know about? Yep. Right. Well, you know, I, meanwhile, just look at anybody's uh, you know internet history, and everyone's done for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I was just gonna say when the cloud, yeah, the, there's that uh, panel syndicate comic where it's like this. Uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Marcus Martinez. Oh, right, right. The right. cloud bursts and everybody's secrets are out, and now suddenly society totally, under, you know, they value secrecy far more than they value celebrity. But uh, you all, you kind of explore this uh, time back into the Fox 
Uh, one of the things I thought was cool, I read Billy Dogma first, but, uh, the Fox touches on elements of technology and how, you know, there's, it's like a generational story. It's not the original Fox. It's the son of him, but he has a son right. as well. And seeing the generational difference uh, between the current fox and his son and how they view technology and you know the current fox he wants uh was it it's a uh paul Patton, right yep paul Patton jr and, and paul Patton jr and he wants his kid to not just have you know whatever digital camera he wants them to have a polaroid and like that that there's power yeah. in in that instant polaroid you know medium that you can print and hold in your hand like you're saying with comics and you know and then seeing well, I, I used to date, I, I used to date a woman that had two kids right and, uh, in fact, the reason why I originally got onto Facebook was because I think kids were going on Facebook first and she didn't have any time for that. And she knew I was like a, a guy who social networked or I had a live journal account and I did stuff like that. So she's like, listen, can you just have a Facebook and just watch out and make sure nobody's trolling them or something like that? And of course I got sucked into the whole Facebook universe. But what I did notice, and, I, and this is true, I think to this day and not just kids, but you know, People who like will take a thousand pictures on their cell phone suddenly would dump it all online, and we're talking about the shittiest pictures. Like they're awful. There's no, no, nothing discerning about them. There isn't anything nice. It's just like half the time they're blurry. It's because they didn't edit. They didn't consider. They, they, you know, they just threw it online just to say they were at something, you know. Um, and here, here I am. And I think that was one of the reasons. What well, one of the things I was trying to convey. Uh, in in the Fox, and then Mark Wade, you know, wrote it really beautifully. Where it's like he has this phone. Uh, Paul Patton Jr. The Fox has this phone. That he has to beta test, which is also going to be part of the larger story. So it's there for a reason. Not only in the first issue, but um, he's beta testing his phone, and he's just taking a ton of pictures because you can. But meanwhile, he's really proud of his son, who he's basically limited his son by actually using a camera where you have to focus uh, the lens. You have to think about the lighting, and you take a snapshot, you know, uh, and, and you hope that what you get, you don't even know what it looks like half the time because with an older camera, you have to develop the film. I mean, I remember taking tons of, of pictures uh, with, with a camera, but I had, to, I had to, you know, I had to think about when I, when I clicked that camera, I hope this is a good one, and, and really position it and compose the shot, and then hope that when it came back, it was lit well or that it was in focus. You know, now we don't need to think that way. Now we have, I, I get off the subway and I see ads with a beautiful picture. And it says, your phone took this beautiful picture. And it's incredible what the phone can do today, you know. Uh, so, again, I don't begrudge it. But I was trying to make this, like, this, I don't know, this nostalgic romp back to, like, when we had to, like, take time and think about these things. Now we don't even have to think about these things. Well, a question I have, and one of the reasons that I gladly joined in on this, uh, Dean, is that uh, of the hosts of our regular podcast that Brian and I are part of, I'm the big red circle guy. Um, ah. And obviously, you know, I mean, you've said it in interviews, and it just it screams that you were very much influenced by Alex Toast's work on the Fox. And, oh, my you know, God, yeah, definitely. And when you think about it, I mean, that's a very small output. I think maybe 20 sequential art pages in total. Yeah, two, very, two, but, two stories, 20 pages, but, man, uh, the holy, a holy grail, you know? Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm close to your age, a couple months uh, a, a couple months younger. I'll be 48 this year as well. Oh, cool. And I remember right, in right. the eight, you know, just that, you know, just seeing an instant redefinition of a character uh, when, you know, that was in the, the backups of, like, 
was it? Uh, that was in the back of Black Hood, and yeah. it came out, yeah. I think, in 83 or 84 or something like that. Yeah. So what was it that attracted you to this character? You know, it's one of those eureka moments or something when you look at something and it just gels and it's there and it just stays with you forever. Because, again, there's these two stories. He never did any more with those characters. I've always liked, loved Alex Toth. In fact, you know, when you look up Alex Toth, he does more romance and crime stories and, and you know, uh, Hot Wheels than anything else. So he, it's like when he does a superhero story, like that famous Batman one he did with Archie Goodwin, or, you know, the few, the handful he's done, when, they, when you see him, like, tackle a superhero story, uh, you know, it, it's exciting because, again, I didn't see him do as much of that. Um, although, he, you know, he did Zorro and stuff, he did action-adventure, uh, actual superheroes is, is, you know, again, what, what attracted me to comics in the first place. And when I saw his version of the Fox, so many things were happening. It was crime. It was noir. It was a, a, a superhero with no superpowers. Like, how is that even possible? Of course, when you look back uh, at old, like, Archie, you know, Red Circle superheroes from the 1940s, none of them had superpowers. <laughs> they all had, like, Olympic strength, or they were detectives, you know, um, once in a blue moon, somebody had a superpower, uh, and I guess that's because maybe DC at the time was, you know, had, you know, had Superman, so it was hard to compete with that or something. I don't know, um, but yeah, there was something sleek and simple, deceptively simple about Alex Till's version of the Fox, and it stayed with me forever. Uh, up until a few years ago, when I was thinking about a kind of uh, comic book character I wanted to create. Uh, you know, I'd done Billy Dogma, and I'd done a couple other superhero kind of characters, but nothing that was sticking uh, in terms of, uh, you know, I mean, I don't even consider Billy Dogma a superhero comic, you know, as much as, you know, he does, they do have a certain kind of powers. I don't think it would be classified as a superhero comic. But I was thinking about, you know, what if Jack Kirby and Alex Toth got together and gave birth to a new hero? Uh, and then I thought about, you know, uh, Buster Keaton, and Burt Reynolds, and I came up with this character called the Red Hood. Uh, and I was, actually came up with him uh, while I was at one of my writer's retreats, and then I designed him at another retreat at a place called the Atlantic Center for the Arts, uh, where I was a master artist with uh, eight other cartoonists, and, uh, and then there were two other master artists as well. So it was like this big comic book camp for three weeks in Florida, in New Smyrna Beach, Florida, actually. Uh, Brian, are you near there at all? Where's Orlando, dude? It's, it's about 40-ish minutes uh, northeast. And what's funny is Atlantic Center has been on my radar forever. I actually played a gig there back when I was in college. We did some kind of abstract, weird electronic music. And so when I saw that oh. you did a residency there... Like like two or three years ago, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. I wish I I wish uh, I had realized, you know, you've been on my radar, and I wish I had gone to see it because like that they have that residency program for cartoonists is just awesome. I know they, they've done that three times now. The first one had uh, Paul Pope, uh, Craig Thompson, and I forget the the third person's name. Then the second one was me, Megan Kelso, and Ellen Forney, uh, you know, with twenty four other cartoonists. And then the most recent one uh, didn't do the, the, the triplet, the threesome of three different artists with 24 artists. Uh, they decided to keep it to one, uh, three different disciplines. But this time, Josh Neufeld did it with uh, eight artists. Oh, wow. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I hope they continue it. It's really cool. A, a lot of people seem to get a lot out of it. I know I did. 
And and uh, it's too bad that you didn't swing by uh, back then. We had a uh, oh, I'm forgetting his name. What, what's what's uh, Paulo Rivera's father's name? Oh, it's not Ivan. You know Paulo Rivera? He, he drew Daredevil and yeah, then his yeah. father inks him. Oh, gosh, I can't think of it. Anyway, his father swung by and, and gave us the most amazing inking demonstration. Oh, wow. Uh, Tom Hart, you know, and, and uh, came by, uh, I believe, with Leela, his wife, uh, from, you know, Gainesville from their school where they teach. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had, we, it was, it was, it was a great time. That's a great program. And it's a beautiful facility, like the campus and the, it's right out. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's near the beach. It's not right on, but it's close enough that you can get to the beach really quick. And it's just, Oh, it's beautiful. So that's awesome. That you did yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so back to, I mean, the Fox is ongoing, right? That you had done a five issue. Now the Fox is ongoing. The first issue, uh, is now coming out April 15th. Yep. And then I believe the second issue is like May 8th or something like that. And, and the first arc is uh, five issues. It's called Fox Hunt. And uh, the first issue almost feels like a standalone story. But then toward the end, it starts to hint at where the larger story is going. Yep. Uh, I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> but, yeah, definitely pick up the first issue because it does lead into the next four. And, you know, uh, in a way, it's the only time that Paul Patton uh, Jr., a.k.a. the Fox, gets to kind of relax because by the end of the first issue, he is absolutely quit as the Fox. He's done. It's over. I'm not doing this anymore. I mean, for a long time, he was reluctant, but uh, and he kind of put on the costume because in a way, as a photojournalist, it allowed him to kind of bring really cool stories to him so he could publish these stories. But now he's like, I get beat up too much, and I don't get to be a good dad or a good husband. And, you know, I just want to have a boring life now. Sorry. I don't want to deal with this stuff. And by the middle of the second issue, he is forced to put on the costume and be the fox for a bunch of really good reasons. And then you're still doing this with Mark Wade, so you guys are sort of doing like a a kind of a Marvel-style approach? Yeah, it's the old Marvel style where – you know, uh, the artist uh, often would come up with the story, uh, plot it out, draw it. In this case, I have written the story, and then sometimes in my notes, I'll do a, a, a written breakdown of uh, pages and panels, and I might even insert like an idea for you know some dialogue or something. Um, basically, I'm just writing that to to make sure that the editor and Mark Wade understand my motivation for characters and what they're doing. And uh, and then Mark does a masterful job of interpreting uh, not only what I've drawn, but the intent of the story and putting his own special flair on top of it. Yeah, Gene, I have to say, uh, out of all the publishers right now, over the last few years, one of the publishers that I've probably been the most impressed with has been Archie. I just feel that yeah. they are so far ahead of the game. And social issues, I just feel that they treat, you know, what are essentially gimmicky conceits like variant covers in a, just a beautiful fashion, and I know you've been part of that. And yeah. when I read Freak Magnet, when I read the first issue that you provided for us and something new like the Black Hood, uh, right. that new take on it, it, I have a very indie feel when I read that, which is, I think, surprising when it comes down to that these are corporately owned characters. Is it as I, I honestly feel you and Mark, you know, probably have free reign with what you want to do. Is that in fact the case? Are you as liberated as I think you are? Um, we're pretty liberated. I think what it comes down to is that, um, you know, uh, my original editor Paul Kaminsky, who, you know, when I showed him my Red Hook story to say, hey, 
I really, uh, well, what happened is that I have a friend named Vito Del Sante, who's a writer, a comic book writer, and he's got his own book right now called Stray. that's being oh, yeah. published by Action Lab. But a few years ago, he told me he was working on something with Red Circle, and I said, oh, cool, I've always wanted to do the Fox. I remember that that was a Red Circle character. So he introduced me to Paul Kaminsky, the editor, and I showed him what I had done with this Red Hook character, and it was kind of like the Fox. So he said, hey, listen, he commissioned me to write, come up with a six-page story, uh, I came up with it, he dug it, it was zany, weird, freaky, and then I was, as I was drawing it, by the time the sixth page was completed, he came back at me and said, okay, now pitch me a five-issue miniseries. And I was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> like, what are you talking about here? I didn't have that in mind at all. So then I had to think about it and go, all right, well, it's going to be nothing like Alex Toth because I will fuck that up. There's no way I can touch that holy grail. So I decided to do nothing like an Alex Toth Fox and just kind of go, okay, well, what do I want to do? What kind of comic would I like to tell? And I'm a big fan of the Silver Age and I have indie sensibilities. So I combined those two and made it very pulpy and, and, you know, bizarre and came up with that freak magnet story and, you know, invited other writers in like Jim DeMatteis who wrote the backup feature and the fifth issue of freak magnet and my buddy, Mike Cavallero, we got the shield in there and told this crazy story. So when Alex Segura came in uh, back from D.C. to Archie, uh, he was kind of taking over the reins with Paul to kind of really take another look at these Red Circle characters. Because I think what happened was that uh, the Fox kind of, you know, put the Red Circle characters back on the map. Now, I know there was the New Crusaders uh, comic that was also well done, uh, but that was probably more in that young adult direction, you know? And I always like to say that that the Fox is an all ages title, and that seems to kind of be a curse word as well, because all ages implies for some people that it's kids only. No, that's not what it is. It means that everybody can enjoy this. Adults too. Pixar movies are all ages, and they're very sophisticated. Like look it up. You know, within ten minutes, every adult is you know wiping tears from their eyes, and all the kids are looking at their parents or their. Adult, I mean, why are you crying, <laughs> you know? And then it becomes like a kid's movie for a little while, and they were crying again toward the end. Um, you know, that's all ages. That's what I mean. But I think that um, they decided, well, you know, that's kind of like hurting them in some way because they have their Archie comics, and they are more all ages. But they, you know, in today's grim and gritty superhero, you know, I mean, look at most DC comics. And not to diss DC, but I can't read most of those comics. They're too dark. Yeah. They're too ugly, you know? I, I think there's a, a pervasive a lack of joy in yeah, a lot. Yeah, exactly. And I was trying to, like, you know, distill joy through superhero comics again and, and still have, like, serious consequences because, you know, you want your, your heroes to be in danger and get in trouble and then figure out how to get out of trouble. Isn't that the end of every good story? You know, and I feel like... I, I don't necessarily want my my heroes to be raped and, and slaughtered, you know? And I understand once in a while that happens, just like in life. But I feel like it happens all the time to the point where, like, aren't they killing another superhero every, like, three weeks? <laughs> I, I don't like understand it. it. Why does yeah. it matter then? I mean, I, I've, I've said in print or in interviews before, like, how did, how did superhero comics make the apocalypse boring? <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> It, every other issue is the end of the world, and, and, and I, I'm tired of that. Maybe it's also I'm showing my age. Like, maybe that's what comics have always been. I don't know. So when we decided to take another tackle of, of this ongoing with the Fox, 
we knew that, well, I was told, basically, let's get a little more serious. Let's get a little more gritty. And, in fact, they were asking me to draw more in my Billy Dogma style. And I really tried. I tried to reconcile that, and I couldn't figure it out. Maybe there's a disconnect in my head because Billy Dogma is my baby. And maybe because I've kind of devised a style, kind of like a style sheet for Billy Dogma. And even though it evolves throughout the years, you know, it's very distinctly Billy Dogma. And I just want to keep it that way. And, again, it might just be an artistic brain fart or something that happens. I don't know. But um, I am very happy with what I'm doing on the Fox. Uh, you know, editors are supposed to set goalposts, you know, and and they also have to figure out how to sell these damn things. You know, as much as, uh, you know, uh, half the job today, I guess, for most authors or cartoonists or anybody who makes something seems to be that you have to also be branding yourself or marketing yourself. Uh, and I've been doing that for years anyway, so it's kind of easy for me. Uh, but it is hard on a lot of folks that just want to sit there and write and draw these things, you know. Um, but I get it. I get that I have to kind of, you know, respect that a company that owns these characters wants certain things because they're paying attention to the market. And, you know, as much as it might be smart for me to pay attention to the market, it's better for me to pay attention to the kind of stories that I want to tell and show. I think the the first issue of Fox Hunt compared to a Freak Magnet, I think it did start to see a little bit more of that Billy Dogma feel. So it certainly evolved over the the time you've been on that book. But sure. I think towards sure. the end, and again, I don't want to spoil that ending because it's it is definitely the setup for the arc. But there's a couple shots yeah, yeah, yeah. where I'm like, okay, yeah, there we go. That's that's the stuff. And even <laughs> even the uh, the villain in that book is. Uh, is sort of an interesting because there's a there's a past there's a history with the fox that that they explore in flashback and and in memory but right i i really i really dig it and i mean i i'll be honest i know of the fox i know of the red circle stuff from from mainly from bill and our and our other hosts on that and comic book bears but you know i just it it was a little bit before my time because i'm 38 so i came along a little after that but you know now i want to go back and check it out just because even though there's not a lot you know, Alex Toth stuff is just so iconic, and and those are they're they're yeah. cool characters. You know, you you don't see. I mean, as much as it's a modern sort of take on the characters, a lot of these modern takes, like you're saying with DC, they're just so dark and joyless, and just it's it's not the same. And, and this, very homogenized. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it's a it's certain just, kind of template that, like, honestly, listen, I. I <laughs> I'm not going to spoil much, but I was thinking about the next arc, obviously, after this one, because I'm in the middle of drawing issue four, and then issue five wraps up the Fox Hunt story. And, of course, I'm thinking about, well, what's next? And what's next, if if we get the opportunity, is is kind of dark. But I had to think about in today's market, okay, what is dark and what makes something dark and why? And why would it matter? So in a way... As much as The Fox was my response to the kind of comics I loved reading when I was a kid in, you know, the 70s and 80s, and then, you know, uh, you know, going to the newsstand, and there was the Marvel and DCs, and once in a while there was the Archie and, you know, Red Circle characters and so on and so forth, and then you discover the spirit by accident, you know, through Warren, you know, publications. Um, my next idea for The Fox is a response to the current market, but done in a way that I feel justifies, you know, this this kind of wave of, of of joyless comics, but done in a way that I think works. Well, that's really going to be cool because you know I, I love seeing artists and and cartoonists and writers like Grant Morrison and how they sort of react to the culture changes in comics and how they dabble in those those themes but show it in a way that sort of 
bring something new and interesting to light, you know, and as opposed to just the yeah. same old grit and grime. And you know, I mean, I'm not here to reinvent the wheel at all, you know. Um, but because after a while you get old enough, you know, you might have you might actually have a unique you know point of view because of of your own experiences and how you react to stuff as well, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's important to me, you know. In fact, there's a character in the Freak Magnet that I originally wanted to explore in Fox Hunt, but uh, Fox Hunt just kind of got out of hand with the actual hunt and all this other stuff. But I wanted to explore uh, a, a character that I made gay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> or I, I, I incited that he was gay. Uh, if you were paying attention in Freak Magnet, there's a character called Inferno. And uh, <laughs> he was a character that I wanted to play with that I may get to in the future if, again, you know, the fox does well and sells well and I can tell more stories. Uh, I wanted to kind of bring that guy back because that was someone that I wanted to comment about. You know, I mean, we, we can't just be straight white males, you know yes. what I'm saying, in comics. There are a lot of other characters and people to, to tell stories about. No, and I, that's awesome. I'll have to go back and check out uh, Inferno, which is hilarious to me because, again, we pattern ourselves after Johnny Storm and Flame On. So <laughs> I know, I know. Now, I saw you're doing Mocha, uh, Mocha Fest, April 11th and 12th. Uh, what yes. other conventions are you going to try to hit so we can come uh, get a copy of... Uh... Um, Wizard World has been very, very good to me. Okay. So I've been uh, doing Wizard World. And so the next Wizard World I'll be doing after Mocha Fest will be in Las Vegas. I've never been to Sin City, so wow. I'm excited. Nice. Uh, then uh, I'll be doing Wizard World Philadelphia. Okay. And what else is coming up? I know I'm going to be doing a bunch of other Wizard Worlds. I don't know if, they, if, if, if they've uh, put it up on their site but i believe i'll be doing chicago des moines and richmond virginia and then you know come fall there'll be spx baltimore comic-con new york comic-con uh comics arts brooklyn and maybe one or two others awesome i guess uh i guess i need to go to baltimore this year it's been a couple years since i've been heroes is my mainstay but i think they're right up against another wizard world um, oh really? Heroes I've heard I've heard only great things about and I've been meaning to go to that. Oh man, you would you would you would die. It's such a great experience for artists and fans. That's what I hear. Because it's only it only focuses on the comics and they have See, indie. I gotta do that. I gotta do that sometime. But it's tough now because I think it's like I said, directly opposite. So last year a lot of guys went to Philly and uh you know oh, okay. missed out on Heroes. Oh, Locust then, Moon Comics, that's another one I'll be doing. Where's that? Yeah, I believe Halloween, Locust Moon Fest. Uh, Locust Moon Comics is a comic shop in Philadelphia. They're the guys who uh, produced and published uh, Little Nemo, Dream Another Dream, that oh. huge, beautiful tone. That was gorgeous. Oh, my God. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, so, cool. I just saw a copy of that in the Strand last week, and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> it's, a, it's like you put a doorknob on it, why don't you? Right? Yeah, right. That's huge. <laughs> oh, you need it on a dolly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, thank you so much for sitting down with us. I mean, I really appreciate your time, and I'm really excited to get people to find out more about your work. I want to go back and read the Cuba book, and I know Bill had talked about it before. And now I'm just going to go. After, I'm going to go pick it up. Uh, oh, well, thanks, thanks, guys, and thanks again for reading. Uh, you know, the Fox and Billy Dogma, and for having this conversation with me. And hopefully, we can do it again soon. Definitely, man. And uh, we'll see you at the cons, and we'll we'll come talk to you. All yeah, right. I'm definitely going to be at. Uh... Yeah, Dean, I'm definitely going to be at Mocha. Uh, oh, sweet. All right, that's, that's, only like, that's only like two weeks from now, right? That's two weeks from now. So, uh, you know, are you going to be crashing in some hotel or some friend's house? 
No, I'm uh, I'm over in Princeton. So. Oh, okay. So you're not that far. Okay, cool. Yeah, but I, I have to tell you, for uh, nine months uh, for work, I was holed up at uh, Marriott by MetroTech. So uh, for, for oh, nine really? months. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Company, yeah, for nine months on All a right. company's dime, I was a Brooklynite. <laughs> and hey, if you know, um, if you're a, a, a Prince, are, are you? Did you go to Princeton as well, or no? Yeah. Oh, so oh, one no, of your alumni? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, uh, oh, okay. Uh, I was. Uh, I was uh, University of Delaware and then Rutgers School of Law. Oh, okay. Oh, actually, Delaware, we're going to be doing free comic book day at a comic book shop at Delaware, my studio. Oh, is going to be doing oh, that. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. The, uh, the uh, Captain Blue Hand, probably? I forget the name of the shop, and I should know. Damn it. Um, oh. I think it's called, like, the comic book shop or something. Like, something simple. Oh, oh that might be uh, Wilmington. Okay. Maybe. And then... Um, what was I going to say about... Oh, the reason I brought up Princeton, because, uh, you know, my good buddy Jonathan Ames, uh, I think, went to Princeton for a while, and we did The Alcoholic together, as well as worked mm-hmm. on, you know, HBO's Bored to Death and a bunch of other things. So, if you haven't read The Alcoholic, I think you'll, you'll dig that. Now I got to go check that out, too. And I love Bored to Death, and yeah. I didn't, didn't even connect the two until you were saying you got the Emmy for that. I was like, oh, man, I do know that. Well, thanks again, Dean. I really appreciate your time. Hey, thank you. It was a great conversation, and uh, I look forward to uh, pimping it and hyping it when it's live. Oh, we'll awesome. definitely get the link to you. And uh, guys, check out DeanHaspiel.com. Are you on the Tumblers? And you, I know, I know the social uh, media you know, discussion. Facebook and Twitter under my name. I don't have a Tumblr or okay. an Instagram. I probably should eh, someday. Someday. Well, we'll we'll repost all we can if we see stuff that we like on Tumblr for you, and give you the, give you the, give you the, the props. Oh, you're kind. Thanks so much, guys. Definitely, man. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to Flame On, a podcast made possible by Powder Milk Biscuits, the ones in the blue box, a comic shop, and the generous support of tops and bottoms like you. If you want to be one of our sugar daddies, you can help out by telling a cute single friend about us, reviewing us on iTunes, or putting some dollars down our digital G-string in our monthly support drive. For more ridiculously entertaining and socially enlightening episodes of Flame On, as well as other fine programs, head on over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to Flame On and all Nerdy Show Network podcasts via iTunes. And be sure to find us on Twitter at Flame On Podcast or Facebook on our Flame On fan page. And make sure to check out flameonshow.com for more nerdy queer in your ear. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 